Before we come to God's word, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, come and breathe afresh into each of our lives, we pray. Receive the Holy Spirit afresh. Receive him in your thinking, in your vision, your hearing, your heart. And Holy Spirit, if the Bible was an academic book, we would just bring an academic to teach it to us. But it's a book of the spirit of life. And Holy Spirit, you're our teacher. So we invite you to come and teach us from your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in our series looking at the revolutionary words of Jesus in what we call the Beatitudes. Jesus gathered with his disciples and many other people, and he gave what we call the Sermon on the Mount, and the very early part of that was what we call the Beatitudes. They're among some of the most revolutionary words that have ever been uttered in any nation, any culture, across society. They revolutionize the understanding of any hearer that will take these words on board. And we've been looking at this. This is our fifth week of looking at this series. And let's look at all of these Beatitudes in one go before we zone in on just one of them today. They're found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, and they say these words. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. We're going to look at verse 8 today. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We may find it challenging if Jesus had used some softer words here. But we'd still find it challenging if he said, blessed are the pure in speech. That would be pretty challenging, wouldn't it? Every word to come out of our mouth to be pure. Every accent, every... Um, emphasis to be something that we could highlight as pure. That would be a challenge. But pure in heart is even more challenging than that. Maybe if he said, blessed are the pure in actions. Have positive, affirming actions in our life. That would be challenging. Never do anything that's not pure. That would be really difficult. But Jesus goes way beyond that. And he says, blessed are the pure in heart. It's more complex than any of these demonstrations of that that we could look at together. We could try our best 
and we would find that we would fail in each of these areas. Jesus always lifts the benchmark. Jesus always calls his people to a higher plane than you and I would tend to live on if it wasn't for his words. Purity, purity of heart, it means to be absolutely clean. It means that your motives, your thoughts, your desires, your aspirations, your assessment of yourself is pure, undefiled, not a speck or a stain, perfect inside and out. Now, before we look more about what this purity means and what it means to see God, let's look at something that I've mentioned before, but just look at it in a little bit more context. And that is that the order that Jesus gave these Beatitudes is incredibly important. So there are some things in life that the order doesn't matter. What do you say, crackers and cheese or cheese and crackers? It doesn't matter. Do you say Mark and Nita or Nita and Mark? It doesn't matter. But if you use these Beatitudes in an order that's different to the order that Jesus gave them, it matters. Because they are like a staircase. They're like a journey, like a pilgrimage that Jesus is leading us on. And if we don't get the first few in the right order, we can't step in to the others. The order is important. The first three Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek or the humble. These are Beatitudes that talk about our need, our desperate need, our bankruptcy. We have nothing. We have no claim. We have no resource that we can draw upon. There's no reserve account we can pull from. We are absolutely bankrupt. Then the next Beatitude, Beatitude number four, says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. You see, following our bankruptcy, this now becomes our satisfaction, that we will be filled. And when we're filled with the result of God, when we are deeply satisfied by Him, we are then able to overflow with His mercy and purity in our hearts. We cannot get to four unless we know our bankruptcy, and we can't go beyond four unless it's the filling of the Lord that causes them to happen. So let's come back to this beatitude in verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What does it mean to be pure in heart? And what does it mean to see God? Well, I've discovered over the years that if we talk about cleanliness, that there are different standards of cleanliness, aren't there? So sometimes if you go on holiday somewhere and they say you'll find the place clean and tidy, some of you here probably have got accustomed to taking some of your own cleaning stuff with you and just using it before you can relax and settle in the holiday place. And I know that's our practice. Also, um, I, I, I cannot say that this relates to my teens in any way whatsoever, but sometimes I've found, or I've heard stories or read things in books of people who've got teenagers um, where they've said, um, or oh, we cleaned the kitchen up after us. And it's, and you say, really? This is clean? 
And uh, as I say, I've never experienced it, but I've read about it in books. <laughs> and I've discovered over the years, because it's not that they haven't cleaned it, it's just people have different standards of cleaning, don't they? Different levels of cleanliness and expectations around that. But this doesn't say blessed are the clean in heart. There's no debate or discussion as to what the level of cleanliness is here. It doesn't say clean. It says pure. Blessed are the pure in heart. You see, you could get a bar of gold. Well, I, I say that like it's an easy thing to accomplish. <laughs> Let's imagine you've got a bar of gold. And I also give you some antiseptic wipes and some cleaning materials and you polish this gold and you wipe it down. It's definitely been cleaned from any germs that might come as a result and it's nice and clean. But it may not be pure because the purity of the gold is about what's inside, not what's external. So to have a gold bar that's pure, it needs to be refined. And that's often a process where they heat the gold up. Gold melts, gold melts at a very high temperature, and other impurities often melt before that. So it rises to the surface, and then they skim off the impurities. And they keep doing that until this gold is more refined and pure. And this verse says, Blessed are not the clean of hearts, but the pure of hearts where all the impurities are to be removed. A pure heart is an unmixed heart, where the impurities come out. And it's important that we have purity. For example, if after the service, you are able to stay behind and join us for coffee, and I say, we've got some lovely fresh coffee beans that have been ground and made into, into this lovely coffee. We've also got fresh spring water that's been put into the kettles in order to add to this lovely coffee. And by the way, I've just put a little drop of arsenic in them as well. Just a little bit. You know, just a little bit. It's okay. 99.9% .9 of it is pure. Just this little bit of arsenic. You're okay with that, aren't you? Of course you're not. Because purity matters. We want it undefiled, unmixed, clear and clean. And Jesus is saying here, blessed are the pure in heart. Not the external, but the content. For they are the ones who will see God. Now just to unpack this a bit further, let me take you to a story in the early church in the book of Acts. I often hear people say, wouldn't it be lovely to live in the days of the early church? Well, let's read this together, because I don't think you like this. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 10, and we're going to read this together. This happened. But a man named Ananias, with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property. Okay, stop there. Let me explain some context here. That when people were giving their lives to Christ, many of them were choosing to sell their possessions and their belongings and to put it into a communal pot. And it said that none of them had any needs. They looked after each other. It's wonderful, it's beautiful, it's revolutionary, and they all um, were able to be a part of that. But there was no obligation to do that. It wasn't a rule of becoming a Christian that he had to do that. 
It wasn't a requirement to become part of the church. Many of them chose to do it. And that's what this couple was selling their property for. But it says in verse 2, however, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet to become part of this community pot. Now, I suspect it was probably a large sum of money because in any context that you're in, property is always one of the most expensive assets that people hold on to, and they'd sold it. So this wasn't given out of their spare change in the back pocket. This was sacrificially removing the biggest asset in their life and bringing the proceeds. Now, we have read that he kept some of it back. We're not told the proportion or the percentage. But I would suspect that even if it was 50% that he'd given, it was a significant sum of money. So surely, at that point, the apostles, they get, in our terms today, let's say an average house price in the UK is around £280,000. If it was 50%, and one of you this morning came forward and said, here's £140,000 for the well-being fund. I wonder if you would expect the next answer that the Apostle Peter gave. Because let's look at what he said. It wasn't amazing. Wow, it's incredible. He said, Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your hearts? You have not lied to people, but you have lied to God. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead. And a great fear came over all who heard. I bet it did. The young men, they got up, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him. Often when I see old churches with the graveyard outside, I often think of that. It'd be quite convenient in that circumstance to have somewhere to bury them right outside the church building. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Tell me, Peter asked her, did you sell the land for this price? Yes, she said. For that price. Then Peter said to her, Why did you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Instantly, she dropped dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. And then the under-exaggeration of, the, of the, the time, it says, then great fear came on the whole church and all who heard these things. That happened. 
That was early church. That was the Spirit of God moving. That was generosity that is more than bringing your whole 10% tithe into the storehouse. This was a generosity that was beyond that. And yet, why has Satan captivated your heart? What's going on here? Because this is not about money. God doesn't need your money or my money. God is looking for our hearts. Finance often becomes a manifestation of our hearts. You know what you believe in, what you're passionate for, you sign checks for. So it's not like it's absent from money. The money is a great illustration, but there's something deeper going on here. There's something about the heart. It wasn't a lack of generosity as we've seen. It was about the purity of their heart in giving this gift. You see, they were pretending to be more generous than they were. They had decided that they were going to live for the audience of those around them, that they were prepared to lie to the Spirit of God for the sake of the acclaim of those around them. There was compromise in their faith. They were more concerned about their appearance than they were their honesty with God. A number of years ago, Nita and I and family, we lived in north of England. We lived just south of Manchester, near Cheshire. And I would often be traveling around the country. And we lived fairly close to Crewe train station, which is a great train station, lots of lines go through there and you can get trains most places and so I had some meetings in London and I planned to um, travel down on the train to these meetings in London for the day so I went through all of the effort of phoning a call center in India to book my tickets to get on the train down to London and I booked my tickets and I made sure that my tickets had a seat reserved with a seat number that they had a table, and I'll tell you why, and it also had an electric plug socket that I could plug my laptop in. Because at the time, I was writing a monthly column for a Christian magazine, and I had a deadline. The next day, I needed to submit the latest article for this magazine. And so I planned that my three-hour-plus journey on the train to London would be at a table with my laptop plugged in, and I would spend that three hours writing my article and send it to the publishers in order for him to get there before the deadline. So I receive my tickets in the post, and I go to Crewe train station. And I'm stood early in the morning on this Crewe train station platform edge. And I look around, and there's a lot of people beginning to gather at the station, because this was a popular train to London. And as more and more people arrived at the station, I began to think, well, you know, it's going to be a busy train today. It's going to be a lot of people on there. And, and I saw people doing something where they were trying to muscle their way forward, but trying to do it while looking polite. You know what I mean? That just gently nudge your way forward, squirm your way through the crowd, get to the front. And I just let them do it. because Not because I was being a particularly good Christian, but I let them do it because I knew that I had a ticket with a reserved seat. So I didn't need to join their 
arguments and their muscling their way through, I knew that there was a seat waiting for me. So I just, hey, go in front of me. <laughs> and I'm stood at the back of this large gathered crowd and then this train pulls into the station. As I look through the windows of this arriving train, I see that there are lots of people already on the train. The doors open as the train comes to a stop. And it seems like this busy train, hardly anybody gets out on the platform, but this throng of people now begin to squeeze in through the doors. But I didn't join them, because I got a ticket. I phoned another part of the world to get this ticket. And I was very relaxed. Hey, going in, in front of, you go in front, that's fine, you go. And I find the carriage that my ticket's for. I walk along the rows to find the row that my ticket's for. And then I look at the seat that I've reserved my ticket for. And sitting on the seat of my reserved ticket was a lady that I guess was probably over 100 years of age. <laughs> and my backpack with my rucksack and my unwritten article is still burdening on my shoulder and I lean over to this lovely lady who's eating salmon sandwiches in my chair, I hope she didn't make a mess, and I say, excuse me, have you reserved this seat? I knew she hadn't because I had. She said, oh no, 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 I haven't, um, but it's okay, I'll stand. It could have been a fit 20-year-old guy or something, couldn't it? You know, why is it someone that looks like she, you know, remembers the War of 1066, never mind the First World War? And I say, it's okay. You sit there. I'll be fine. I had this lovely smile. I could have offered to pray for her at that moment in time, and she would have felt greatly blessed. But I have to let you know, in my heart, I was thinking, she's nicked my seat. <laughs> so I stand for a few minutes, and then a ticket conductor walks through the carriage and says, excuse me, mate, she's sitting in my seat. Leave her alone. You know, Is there any more seats on this train? And he says, there are two in the very end carriage. Fantastic. So I enthusiastically walk through the carriage, pressing the buttons to the doors, going from one carriage to the next, making my way towards the final carriage. On the way, I see another passenger stood. And I say, hey, mate, follow me. There's two seats at the end. So we make our way. He's now gone in front of me. And we're in the final carriage. He finds a seat. He sits down, looking all smug. I look for the second seat. It's not there. I've now got a problem with this guy, and I've got a problem with that woman. I don't let him know. I'm a Christian, you know, we just smile, don't we? We just let it go. and you know, We just hate them inside, don't we? So, uh, it's okay, you sit there, mate. He said, I was going to anyway. Okay, all right. I'm not going to argue with you. You're a fit young 20-something-year-old, and I'm not going to kick you out of your seat. So, I honestly did this. I went back to the carriage where the original seat was, and I stood opposite this woman the entire journey. Comfortable, eh? Yeah. My article didn't get written. She would never have known 
what was going on in my heart. Because I'd learned to create a persona that made it look like I was a good Jesus follower. But my heart wasn't doing too well. The train arrived in London, the doors opened, I stepped onto the platform, and the Holy Spirit convicted me. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. No one knew that I'd done anything wrong, but Jesus did. And the Holy Spirit convicted me, and there on that platform edge, I repented and said, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that my heart is so different. <laughs> the appearance that I was able to give off there, Lord, have mercy on me. And it's a bit like Psalm 24. We read these words, verse 3 to 5. It says, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? It's the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who has not appealed to what is false and who has not sworn deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. A number of years ago, I was speaking at a conference and also one of the other speakers at this conference was a very, very well-known preacher from America. And the session that I was sharing in, he came and sat in and listened to me. At the end of the service, he came and hugged me, introduced himself and said, I'd love you to come across to my really famous church over in the U.S. and come and preach. I thought, wow. That's, that's nice. That'll be a great experience. Wow. You see, something you need to understand about me that I've learned to feel enormously blessed and privileged by the role I serve, but I've never desired this. I've never really felt I particularly have much to offer, if I'm honest. So I've had to work through inadequacy, I've had to work through insecurity in order to be able to present confidently the things of God. And when somebody comes up to someone who's got that tinge of insecurity and says, I'd like you to come and preach at the church where David Beckham sometimes sits in the congregation. This church that's well known all across the world, I'd like you to come and speak. There was nothing wrong with his invitation, but I have to let you know the Spirit of God revealed to me there was something wrong about my heart. Because I'm thinking, wow, maybe I'm not as bad as I thought I was. Wow, wait till my friends see the Instagram picture. <laughs> this moment, this selfie moment in this large auditorium, in this wonderful church with this great reputation. Wow. Do you know what the Spirit of the Lord said to me? You can't accept. I didn't say that at the time. It was over the next few days after the invitation, I began to see how this was making my heart impure. Pride was at work. I 
contacted him and said, thank you for your kind invitation, but I'm really sorry, but I can't accept. Maybe God will open the door in the future when I'm more ready for it, but it's never come. I don't care. Because I'm not living for the audience that Ananias and Sapphira lived for, which was the applause of people. I'm living for the obedience of, towards the Lord. I want to see God. And I don't see God by speaking in places, or I don't see God by looking like a kind, generous person on a train. I see God by the purity of heart, unpolluted, uncorrupted. And I've found over the years there are regular moments in church life when there may be an appeal given for purity and an appeal given to come and lay your life at the altar of the Lord and come and repent. And there's nothing wrong with those moments. But I found that if we truly want to be pure in heart, it's every hour of every day listening to the gentle whispers of the Holy Spirit. And when he speaks and says, don't accept that invitation, it, it involves us saying, whatever you say, Lord, I will do it. Whatever you say. See, because the Spirit is always bringing impurity to the surface in our lives. And the more we hunger and thirst for righteousness, the hotter his purifying flame becomes in our lives. I'm sure many of you have seen on social media this week that 10 days ago in a university campus in the States, a group of people gathered in there for their devotions like they did most days. But on this occasion, it never stopped. They have now been worshiping around the clock 24 hours a day seven days a week. I've got to be honest, earlier on when Sean said, oh, it's a pity we've got to finish this, I think we could go on for hours. I'm thinking, if we announced that this morning, I don't know if there'd be many people here in a few hours' time. And that's not condemning on you because you've got plans and ideas, but revival is deeply inconvenient. Yeah. <laughs> Surrender to the Lord is deeply inconvenient. Purity of heart is deeply inconvenient. So the patterns that we create in our life. And you know, I've, I, I read a couple of days ago that there have been famous worship leaders and preachers from all over the world that have contacted that college where they've now been worshiping 24 hours a day for the last 10 days. And they've said, hey, can we come and help? Would you like us to come and lead some worship? Would you like us to come and preach? Now, I don't know about the hearts or the conditions of those who've made that offer, but I do know, I suspect probably a better way of putting it, more accurate, but I suspect there are some who would love that selfie moment. Hey, I've just preached at the revival. And the organizers, that no one knows their names, no one knows who's in charge of this. There's a group of young 20-somethings, and they've said to these big-name worship leaders, no, if you want to come and queue up with everyone else, and come and be a part of a service in the congregation, then we'd love you to come. But no, we're not going to ask you to come and lead or preach. And do you know what they've been doing? They've had over 
I think, 100 worship teams over the last week. And they do two-hour sections. And what they've been doing, they've been looking around those who are a part of the student body, and they've been saying, hey, would you like to come and lead some worship? I haven't got particularly a lot of experience in this. That's okay, because it's about the Lord, not about you. And then when they say yes, they say, okay, we've got a consecration room. They call it the consecration room. We're going to take you into the consecration room, and you are going to repent, and you're going to get yourself right with the Lord. You're going to get humbly on on your face before him, and you're going to make sure that you're clean hands and pure heart. Because it's only those who can ascend the hill of the Lord. And then they say, now when you've done that, go and spend a few hours in the congregation. And then you might be ready. I love that it's nameless, faceless. And there's a lot of excitement brewing around the world. Could this spread? And it already is to other universities and some places in the U.S. And there are people now beginning to fly from over the world to go and see what's happening. But there's no quick fix to this. If your heart is impure and you fly across to Asbury and you spend a week there and come back with an impure heart, you're carrying nothing. You don't pick this up. You pray this in. And I believe the Lord is inviting his people to a whole new level of knowing God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. If there are toxins impurities. If I stand on that platform edge and say, I think I got away with that, God. I think I blagged it okay there. If we take that approach, you've just created a ceiling for yourself. But if every moment, every day, you say, I want what the Lord wants. I thank God for Alpha, and I want to encourage you to take those invitations and invite people. But in some of our lives and our relationships and our circumstances, probably what might be a bigger witness to some of your friends and work colleagues is actually apologizing for your bad behavior, for your bad attitude. Last year, Jason's always enthusiastic, isn't he? Morning, everybody. It's 7.20 in the morning. Welcome to Die Daily. Yay. It's 9 o'clock at night, and I'm full of energy and life. He's amazing. And last year, probably around March, April time, Jason said, let's have a meeting to plan Christmas. Christmas 22. So Jason goes for it. Like, there's Christmas music in the background. There's mince pies. And that meeting had been shed in the diary for a few weeks, and I had had a really busy week, and I was a bit grumpy. And I remember thinking, I really could do with not being in this meeting right now because there's some pressures of some things I need to deal with. And, and every time Jason turned the Christmas music up, my, my grumpiness increased. To such a point where at the end, I think the next day I went to Jason and said, Jason, I'm sorry I was grumpy yesterday. 
Now, I don't know if he was being polite or not, but he said, oh, I didn't notice. Maybe he didn't. But I felt the spirit whisper, that's not good, Mark. And in some of relationships, friendships, workplaces, there needs to be some apologies. Don't go in and sell them your beliefs. Introduce them to the Spirit of God that works on your heart. Let there be a humility to your life. Christians haven't got it all together. We just know someone who's with us. So as we conclude our time together, there's a prayer. The first part is made up of a song that I used to sing in the 90s. And the second part has been bolted on to extend into a prayer. And it says this, Purify my heart. Cleanse me, Lord, I pray. Remove from me all that is standing in the way. I'm going to ask us to pray this prayer together. Not so that those around you will hear, although they will, but so that the spirit of truth will be with you and will hear you. If you can make this a sincere prayer, things will rise to the surface this week. And you're going to have to say, Holy Spirit, I don't want that. Take it away. Please remove it from me. I don't want that. And it'll be painful because there's some things you're attached to. But blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Can we pray this together? Purify my heart. Cleanse me, Lord, I pray. Remove from me all that is standing in the way. Holy Spirit, help me live every moment of my day sensitive to your purifying flame. Purify my heart that I may see you more clearly in my life. Amen. Let's pray together. We long to be holy, to be pure. Forgive us for our pride that has worked to the audience of those around us. Holy Spirit, may we live our entire days and lives sensitive to your voice, to be purified by your fire, your refining fire, and to follow you in every way. And Lord, I pray that we will see you more clearly. So draw us closer to you. May that fervor and passion that's causing people to step out of convenience in the U.S., may that captivate our hearts, we pray. May nothing else matter as much as drawing close to you. In the name of Jesus, amen.